On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors all locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, and as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sin, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came, so the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail hands on his hand, nail marks on his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with him. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, reach out in your hand and put them in my side and stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet they have believed. Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Well, I've got to tell you, it's been one week since Easter, and I'm going to take you back to a conversation that Joseph of Arimathea was having with his friend Ben uh, the week after Easter. And I heard this from my son last week, so... You'll have to forgive me, but Joseph of Arimathea was talking to his good friend Ben, and Ben said, Joseph, why on earth did you give that tomb away to Jesus? You could have sold that and make just lots of money on it, Joseph. And Joseph said, don't worry, I didn't give it to him. I only lent it to him for the weekend. And that's a blessing to us because I tell you, if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't be here at church right now. We wouldn't be having uh, the excitement that we had from one week ago. Just remember, two weeks ago today, Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. And everyone said, blessed is he who comes in the name. Hallelujah. It was just an amazing week that week. And then the second day of that week, he cleared the synagogue of all the money changers. He continued by having the Last Supper with his disciples. He continued, was arrested, was tried, was convicted, was crucified, and arose last Sunday on Easter. But you know, if that was such a big deal, why were the disciples locked up in a room away from everybody in the world the, night, the next day? And here we are a week later, and they're still locked up behind a door. What difference had the empty tomb made to them? I mean, they got up on Monday morning, and it was the same thing. They were hidden behind there. It really didn't make any difference at all to them whatsoever. But my question is to you, what was different on Easter Monday for you as opposed to Easter Sunday? 
Did you get up and was there any difference in your life when Terry went to Bank Plus? Did he see the world differently when George went to go look for turkeys the next morning? Did he see the world differently? I mean, everything was still the same. We still have a war in Iraq. We still have trouble. We still have murders in all the city. Nothing was different for us on Monday as it was on Easter Sunday. When I look at the world, it was almost exactly the same. I used to listen to this gospel, though, and I used to be critical of the disciples. Why were they afraid? Why were they fearful? They were stuck in the same place. They should have been better than that. They should have been out saying, Hallelujah, Christ is risen. But their lives weren't different either. I was really asking Abel about my own life. What difference was it for me? Why am I stuck in the same place? I should be doing better myself. I should be living the resurrection better. I should be more powerful. I should be more authentic. I should be more fully. I should go out and say, the Lord is risen indeed. You know, but I begin to think about this resurrection story a little bit differently. Number one, the resurrection is a big deal. Number two, the empty tomb should be a life-changing event for us. Number three, the resurrection should make a difference in our lives. But number four, sometimes it takes time. Resurrection takes time. It's not a one-time event. Sometimes we have to grow into the resurrection in our lives. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's a way of being for us to change our lives so that the resurrection is truly important to us. Every day we step into the resurrected life. But you know, it's not easy sometimes. Some days it's just plain hard. I wonder if sometimes we come to the Easter Sunday and the empty tomb and expect that Monday was going to be a whole new life. I'm guessing that we woke up on Monday and know there wasn't a lot of changes. It's not because the resurrection failed. It's not because we didn't do the Jesus thing. It's because Jesus takes time in our lives. Now, let's go to the fact of the empty tomb and start claiming the story of the resurrection. There's a difference between facts and a story. For example, uh, facts inform the mind, but a story may change our lives. For example, the empty tomb is a fact. The resurrection of Jesus is a story. The fact is not the story of the resurrection. The facts are the starting point of the story. The fact of the empty tomb is the start of the story. Whatever you woke up to on Monday morning, that's the facts of your life. That's not the story of your life. When facts come to mind, well, let's talk about Thomas for just a second. Let's look at the story that we read about today. What have we usually thought about when we cycle the word Thomas? There's one word. Doubting Thomas. I mean, that's what everybody says. But 
unless I see the mark of the nails in your hand, unless I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe you. That's the only fact that most of us come to when we think about Thomas. What if the fact, however, was just the starting point of his resurrection? What if, like Paul Harvey says, what about the rest of the story? What if where we start is less important than where we go? For example, uh, as Sharon said, doubting Thomas. But I think that's a little unfair. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you a little bit about Thomas because in the 11th chapter of John, you remember Jesus was summoned to Mary and Martha's house. Uh, that Lazarus was dying, and by the time he got there, uh, he had already died. Well, uh, he said, well, we're going to go uh, do this, and then we're going to Jerusalem. And all the other disciples said, oh, no, if we go there, they're going to kill you in Judea. That's not a very good idea, Jesus. Well, here's what Thomas said. He said, come on, let's go that way so we may die also with Jesus. We see there that Thomas is a pretty good guy of courage and of action. He's not that doubting person that we think of. But there's even another place in John's Gospel in the 14th chapter. It says, Jesus said, you know, and most all of you know this chapter and this verse, the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But if you know me, you'll know my Father also. From now on, do you do know him and have seen him? I'm sure that every one of the disciples were saying, Jesus, what are you saying? You know the way to the place where I'm going? But Thomas was the only one that would question him. He was willing to ask questions to risk embarrassment because half of the other uh, disciples there wouldn't do that. Now, do you know the end of Thomas' story? Most people don't. But let me tell you, after the resurrection and Jesus' appearance to him, after the Pentecost went and they began to disperse, he traveled all the way to southern India. He traveled across the Arabian Peninsula into a boat and sailed across the Indian Ocean and I looked it up, that's about 3,000 miles that he traveled at that time. Given the challenges of the uh, first century, that was pretty long, difficult, and dangerous. And do you know that to this day, the people, that, the, 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 the few Christians that are in the country of India, they consider uh, uh, Thomas the father of their church. And he was killed for his acts of faith there. He died a martyr after he was run through with five spears by five soldiers. That doesn't sound like much of a doubter to me, please. Uh, it sounds like someone who grew, who changed, someone for whom the resurrection of Christ was real, someone for whom the empty tomb really made a difference. It took time, but he finally realized it. While Thomas is often uh, criticized, I think he also has something that he can teach us. For example, he offered us wisdom in the midst of struggling to believe in the resurrection. Have you ever asked yourself, when the disciples were there and Jesus appeared, 
Why was Thomas not there? I mean, nobody really knows. Was he out getting groceries at Walmart? I mean, whatever the case may be, he wasn't there with them when Jesus appeared the first time. But he came back. And he was there the night that Jesus appeared a second time. Was it because he had missed the disciples? Was it because he was fearful and felt like if he was with them, there would be more people there and he would feel safer? We could talk about all these things, but I don't know. But maybe coming back is what we can learn from Jesus. And from Thomas, I should say. I'm sorry. You know, sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we do things that are not right. But Thomas teaches us that we can always come back. All that stuff about doubting Thomas, the fact of his disbelief, is just his starting point, just like we have to have starting points. Now, what's your starting point? What are the facts of your life today? Your story uh, may be starting right now, and you may be in the circumstances of deep loneliness. You, should, you could be in for the circumstances of sorrow or loss, or you could be in fear. You could be in your own house of fear, confusion, or darkness, and that may be your starting point. It could be that you're ill, that you're having old age, you, should be, you could be disabled, or just circumstances, and all those things could be involved in your own starting point. All these things and thousands others are the way we hide in fear behind our door. The great tragedy is not that the disciples are in the same house behind the same locked door. That was just their starting point. The great tragedy would be if the disciples refused to unlock that door, refused to open it, and refused to get out of the house. Now, we can all be critical of Thomas. Uh, we can all say, hey, he's a doubter. But just imagine if you walked into Walmart and Sharon said, well, I just saw John Doe. And I said, but he was at the funeral home three days ago. I would probably not say, that's wonderful. I would say, I'm not so sure you're of your right mind. I mean, that's what Thomas could have said. I mean, that's really what he was saying. I mean, he didn't automatically say anything that was exaggerated. He just said, I want to see that for myself. And don't we all do that? I mean, this is a neat little statement. It says, if you don't have faith, then there will never be evidence enough to convince you. And if you do have faith, no evidence is needed. That's pretty strong to me. So we all need to have that faith to make us go forward. Now, let's look back one year ago today. The church doors were probably closed. We were probably Zooming Lisa's sermon because we were all locked behind the door because of COVID. It was then we could not only grasp Jesus' nail-pierced hands, we couldn't shake anybody's hand. We couldn't grasp the hands of those that were suffering. We couldn't even go to the hospital for friends and family of ours that were dying because of COVID. If ever we were in a moment of doubt, of wanting to see evidence that God is near, that he was in control, that a better day could come, it was that moment last year. 
All we can do with spiritual integrity is to direct God's people to God's word, to what John wrote, to the witness that he bare long ago, and to the witness that by the Spirit, John bears this today. We're troubled. We've been locked up for such a long time for a virus that we cannot see but strikes us. So maybe there is still good news in this story that Jesus pops into locked doors of fear, that he presents evidence somehow, someplace of the life he has to give, that he gives us a servant like John to tell us the story, and this year perhaps that's enough. My Lord, my God, yes, Lord, so clear. What are the doors that are locked in your own life? What are the things that have kept you stuck in the same place? I'll say it again. That's not bad. That's just your starting point. Don't judge you as being bad or good. Don't say it's wrong or wrong, right or wrong. It happened twice in today's gospel. Both times the disciples were in the same house behind the same locked door, and Jesus showed up. He steps into the midst of their house, into our houses through our locked doors, and breathes peace and life into us. He breathes peace and life into our families and our churches. And that breath of peace is the key that unlocks our door. Open the doors to your story of your resurrection and get out of your house. Don't hide in your house like the disciples did and get out and kill the Easter story. Now, in closing, I've just changed this, so I'm going to tell you a story right now. Yesterday, yesterday afternoon, Bev and I got out from behind our doors. Uh, two weeks ago on Palm Sunday in our church, uh, we were in Sunday school, and my pastor came to get me and said, Billy, we need to talk to this lady. A lady had come into the side room, and so we got her in the chapel, and uh, she was kind of disheveled. Her hair was not made up. She had just a very difficult dress on, and uh, she had not taken showers in probably some time, and she smelled like alcohol. But strangely enough, she had hobbled into our church with crutches because she had only one leg. Her apartment was two blocks down the street, and she began to tell Greg and I the story of her life, that her, her house had been destroyed over in Louisiana by Ivan, and she moved to Picayune in January and had exactly nothing, went in this apartment, and uh, the lady was able to get her some furnishings, and her godchildren were being abused by their mother, and... It, it, it was a horrible story, and so we calmed her down, and I got her into the church and set her down on the front pew of the church, and I said, now, uh, Miss J, uh, I'm going to have to go upstairs. I have to sing in the anthem, but I promise I'm going to come back, and I'll sit with you myself, and while all that occurred, I went upstairs, and uh, Terry uh, knows we have two residents of Bridgeway. I don't know if you know about the resident, you do share it, but they're mentally challenged. And one of the ladies was sitting on the pew with her, and uh, she had her two baby dolls, and she had a cram and tiara on. And But she, we fell out the pads of attendance, and she brought the pad of attendance to put on the end of the pew. And she looked at, at Jessica and kind of looked at her. And in her own way, it was innocent, but Jessica didn't understand it. Jessica thought that she was looking down. And so Jessica, 
<clears throat> ran out of church and said, y'all don't have to treat me this way. So Belle and some of the other people tried to follow her, but she went into her apartment and locked her door. So Tuesday of last week, Belle and I went and knocked on the door, and she was there coughing, but she didn't answer the phone. So Billy has to be, I don't know. But anyway, I called her, her landlord and got her phone number, and Jessica called me after the landlord visited her. And yesterday, Bev and I got out from behind the door and went to her house. We went in and sat down with her, and her big dog laid down on Bev as we were talking to her. And, you know, she told us these stories of how horrible it had been, and that the night before, the homeless people had, she had two homeless people spend the night with her because they didn't have a place. And they woke up early that next morning and took everything she had in her freezer. And I, I just, it just broke her heart, and you know we had. But she said, "Can you do one thing for us? Can you go get me a gallon of milk?" So of course Beverly Wally got her ground meat, milk, you know all these things, and we brought her back. So I would have never done that. I mean that's not something. That, I mean, do you put your life like that? I mean it's just. But we got out of our, we got out from behind the doors. And that's what we've got to do as Christians today. So in that, I would ask you that uh, the next time you're in Walmart or the next time you're in uh, Bank Plus or wherever you're at, look around and say, does that person need me to pray for them? And you may be surprised. In the name of the God, the Father, and the Son, amen. amen.